We read about the story of Avram sending Eliezer to find a wife for Yitzchak. Now, Eliezer can be uh, seen in two ways. The role Eliezer played in this whole scheme of finding a wife, you can see him as a shatchan who's going out on a search to find a suitable wife for Yitzchak. Then there's no legal implications here. It's just that he's on a search, on a search mission and finding a suitable wife, and he came back with Rivka, and then Yitzhak married her. He gave her Kiddushin, whatever he gave her, a ring or whatever gifts. Then they stood under the chuppah and they got married. As it says, Yitzhak brought her into the tent. That was the consummation of the wedding, of the marriage. The other way to look at it is, um, is that Eliezer was actually acting within a legal context. He was a shliach, an agent of, of, of Yitzchak, to marry Rivka. Marry Rivka on his behalf. Marry Rivka for Yitzchak. This has to do with the concept of shlichus, which, uh, as we know in Alochav, that whenever you, a person engages in a legal transaction, you don't have to do the action yourself. You can send a proxy to act on your behalf. And whatever the proxy does is as if you did it. So you want to buy a house? and you want to sign a contract and make a formal transaction where the house becomes formally the buyer's, the buyer himself doesn't have to go and engage in the transaction. He can send a proxy that would, ask, that would act on his behalf. Whatever the proxy does is as if the buyer did, and it becomes the buyer's. Whatever the proxy does automatically transfers to the buyer, that the buyer now owns the house. That's called shlichus, a broad concept in halacha, which applies in many, many different ways. Not only for transactions, also for mitzvahs. Not all mitzvahs, because if it applies to all mitzvahs, then one can lead a life like a total goy. <laughs> no Torah mitzvahs. And just hire a shliach to do tefillin for him every day and to, to keep Shabbos and to, to do everything for him. <laughs> Obviously, that's um, unthinkable. And there's reasons for it. But we won't go into that now. So if Eliezer acted as a legal proxy which means that when he delivered the gifts to Rivka and um, get the consent of her, her family, um, he was actually um, getting Rivka officially, legally married to Yitzchak. At that moment, Rivka became the wife of Yitzchak, even though Yitzchak and Rivka were living uh, far apart from each other at that moment. Now, the Rebbe Nesicha, in the last Fabrengen of, of Pashis Chayisara, in, in 92, in Tavshin on Beis, it was the Kinnus HaShluchim. The Rebbe spoke very, very strongly about the concept of Shluchim, and Shluchim, very rich Fabrengen at that time, gave a lot of instructions, seemed like final instructions to Shluchim. At this last Fabrengen for the Kinnus, the last Kinnus, the Rebbe was with us physically. The Rebbe then also connected the parasha with Shluchim, and he brought up this issue of Eliezer, and then he discussed whether Eliezer was a legal proxy acting legally on behalf of Yitzchak, executing the marriage uh, right then and there when he visited the family of Rivka by giving her gifts, and she was then formally married to Yitzchak. Or was Eliezer merely a shatchan? He was acting in the capacity of a shatchan, trying to find a wife and then bringing her to Yitzchak, and Yitzchak married her. Rabbi Levi Tzor Badit Shever in Kedusha Slevi this week's parasha 
uh, takes the position that Eliezer was a shliach. He acted within a legal uh, capacity of a proxy, of an agent. And his actions uh, vis-à-vis Rivka had legal implications. That means that when he gave her the gifts, he gave her the gifts on behalf, uh, as, as, a, um, as, as, as a legal transaction of marriage, that she would be married to, to Yitzhak right then and there. That's how I believe Yitzhak interprets it. And he explains with that why Eliezer told the family when they were sitting down for a meal at Rivka's house, Bisuel and Lovan, they asked him to eat, they invited him to eat, and he said, no, I will not eat unless I can first explain the story behind my visit. He wanted to tell them about Avram and Avram's family and how Yitzhak was born late in life and Avram gave all his belongings to Yitzhak and how now he sent me, his servant, to go on a search for a wife for Yitzhak. And, and, and he wouldn't eat unless he can get their consent that they are agreeable to ask Rivka that she wants to get married because as Rashi says, in Jewish tradition, you don't marry women without their consent. And um, even Rivka had to consent. And only after that would he eat. Says Rebbe it's like the reason is because Eliezer was uh, performing Kedushin at that moment with Rivka. And since a chasen on the day of his wedding has to fast, and he was representing the chasen at that moment, Therefore, he also fasted. That's why he said, I'm not going to eat until the Kiddushin is over. The Kiddushin is done. So that's an interesting concept. That Eliezer, acting as a proxy, a legal proxy for Yitzchak, fasted on the day that he executed that legal transaction of Kiddushin with Rivka. Even though he wasn't a chasen. Now, one could connect this question with the famous discussion about shlichas in general. What is the concept of agency? When Torah says that you appoint an agent and whatever he does is legally considered as if you did it yourself. Does it mean that he and you become one person? The Torah is uh, explaining to us that if you appoint a proxy... The, and you allow the proxy to act on your behalf, then vis-a-vis that action that you appointed him for, the, he, he, his body is your body. So he's an extension of you. He and you are one. Like we see the two of you as one person. And so his action, he's like your hands and your feet, he's everything. <clears throat> if that's the case, you could say Eliezer should fast, because if he, in this particular act, becomes part of Yitzchak, then maybe he should fast too. On the other hand, there are those who say that agency does not mean that the agent and the sender become one, one essence, one entity. It's just that they're two separate people. But the Torah tells us that because this agent was appointed by the sender, his actions are considered legally as referred back to the sender. In that case, it would make no sense for Eliezer to fast. Why would he fast? He's not the chassan. Now, 
Um, there are two reasons given for why a chosen fast. One is because it's a chopa, it's a Yom Kippur. The day of the wedding, chosen and Kala forgiven all their sins, as the Gemara says. And um, on Yom Kippur, you don't eat, you fast. So that's why chosen and Kala fast, because it's like a, a personal, private Yom Kippur. The other reason that's given is because we are afraid that if chosen and Kala eat on the day of the wedding, they might engage in a lavish meal, and a lavish meal is usually accompanied by drinking wine, and drinking wine on the day of such an important transaction uh, as a marriage is not a good idea, because if the person's mind is not completely sober during this legal transaction of marriage, it may disqualify the whole act, the whole marriage. Because according to Allah, when you engage in a legal transaction, especially with marriage, which is a serious transaction, um, it's essential it's critical that the person is completely mindful of what they're engaging in. Sobriety and sanity are absolutely a must. What is the difference between these two reasons? One reason is, let's say the chop is in the middle of the afternoon. If the reason is because we don't want the chas and to drink, then after the chop, even though it's still daylight, there's no problem with them drinking and eating because... It's already, the transaction has been done. The, the, the act of marriage has been already executed. So now they can go and drink. Who cares? But if the reason is because it's a Yom Kippur, on that day they're being forgiven. On Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is a full day. A fast day is a full day. So then even after the chuppah, they should continue to fast until night, till nightfall. But the custom is uh, the chasen kala only fast till the chuppah. Even if the chuppah is early in the day, they don't fast after the chuppah. But it would depend on these two reasons. Now, with Eliezer, another difference would be, another difference between these two reasons would be, what if the chasana is very, very thirsty, and he wants to take a tiny sip of water? Would that be a problem? Now, if the reason is because we're afraid he shouldn't drink any wine, a little sip of water is not going to hurt. Right? We just don't want him to engage in eating a formal meal, but uh, a little bit of water is not the end of the world. But if the reason is because it's Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, you don't even take the tiniest amount of, of drink you don't take on Yom Kippur. So he, it's out of the question. Can't drink anything. Now here we see Eliezer did drink water earlier because he asked Rivka to give him some water. Rabbi Yitzhak says, now later on when he meets the family, he says, I'm not eating today, I'm fasting. Why? Because at first we need to consummate the wedding. We need to finish this transaction here. And I'm a chasna, I represent the chasna, so I have to fast. But why did you drink water earlier? He asked Rivka for some water. The answer is, because Eliezer's fasting was not because of Yom Kippur. He wasn't forgiven for his sins. He was just a messenger. But, when it, but the other reason for fasting on the day of a wedding, which is because when you engage in a legal transaction, you have to have your mindfulness... Right? You have to be totally sober. That applies to Eliezer because an agent who engages in a legal transaction on behalf of the sender, if the agent doesn't have his sobriety and uh, his mindfulness there, then the transaction is not valid. Whoever physically carries, the, carries out the transaction has to be in, to, in total sanity. So it makes sense that Eliezer would fast, but not because it's a Yom Kippur, because he, he's not the chassan but because he was engaging in a legal transaction of a marriage of Kiddushin. 
And therefore, it didn't matter that he drank a little bit earlier. And that's why he said, I will eat after we finish up this transaction, even though it's still daylight. Because he's only doing it so that during the transaction, he wouldn't be drunk. Now, here's another issue. The day that a person gets married, you've forgiven all your sins. Is that the day of Kiddushin or the day of the Chuppah? We know there's two parts to marriage. There's the Kiddushin, there's the betrothal, and then there's the consummation of the wedding, which happens through the Chuppah. We do it all today, all together today, at uh, the same time, but in ancient times, in time of the Gemara, uh, these were two separate steps within a marriage. First is Kiddushin, they become betrothed, they don't live together. She still lives in her family, with her family, and he lives with his family. And then, up to 12 months, they gave them time to prepare for the wedding. Then came the chup, and that was the consummation of the wedding. It's called Nisuyin. Here as well, I mean, obviously, when Eliezer delivered the gifts to Rivka as Kiddushin, there was no chup yet. So when is, when is, the, when is the, uh, the day that the chasin is forgiven? On the chuppah. So, why would Eliezer fast if the chuppah wasn't happening? The answer is Eliezer wasn't fasting because of the chuppah issue, because of the Yom Kippur issue. That happens during the day of the chuppah. He was fasting in order to have a legal transaction uh, done properly. So, that makes sense. Only one issue which I wanted to add, which is there's a Gemara, the Gemara says that when a person is a Russia, and he marries a woman, gives a kedushin on condition that he's a tzaddik. The Allah is, we have to suspect that maybe he is a tzaddik, even though we know that he ate pork 10 minutes earlier, and uh, he murdered somebody 15 minutes earlier. Nevertheless, during the kedushin, he may have had a thought of tshuva. Because tshuva, to, that transforms the person from a rasha to a tzaddik, only takes one minute. A second, you have a, a genuine sense of regret in your heart, and that automatically transforms the person from one, from one extreme to the other. So therefore, at the time he gave the Kiddushin to the woman, he may be at Sadi Gomer at that moment, and therefore the Kiddushin may be Kiddushin. So we're not sure. What if he did Shuvah? So therefore, Halacha is, she needs a get, if she wants to get married to someone else, just to be sure. So the Bepharshim asked, the Bepharshim asked the question, there are Gemaras that seem to indicate that a person who dies, even if he did tshuva, we consider him a rasha. For example, the halach is if somebody um, donated a carbon to the Mizbeach, to the Beis Amikdash, and before they have a chance to offer the carbon on the Mizbeach, he dies. Um, the halach is, for example, if Bezdin killed him, let's say he was a murderer, he donated a carbon to the Mizbeach, then he murdered somebody, and Adim came, and the Bezim Paskin that they have to execute him. And they executed him. What do we do with this carbon now? It says, Zevach Rishoim Ta'eva, we don't offer the carbon on the Mizbeach because it's called a sacrifice of wicked, evil people. And that's an abomination. It's, we don't offer it for Hashem on the Mizbeach. That's the halacha. The question is, the Mepharshim asks, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin that before you execute somebody, he's supposed to make vidui, he's supposed to do tshuva. The best then goes through with the person, 
to do tshuva, and they say vidui with him. So if even one thought of tshuva transforms the person from a Russia to a tzaddik, why if somebody is executed by Bezdin, do we say that the carbon that he left behind cannot be offered on the Mizbeach because he's a Russia? He said vidui before he was executed. So doesn't that prove that just with one quick tshuva doesn't, doesn't transform you from a Russia to a tzaddik? You have to do a lot more than that. Says the Kotzke Rebbe, a very clever thing. The reason Chazal say that if a Russia Gomer marries a woman and says, I'm marrying this woman on condition that I'm a tzaddik Gomer, we suspect maybe he is a tzaddik. He says, the reason is because when he marries a woman, that's the day of the wedding, all his sins are forgiven, that's why he's a tzaddik. It says Shemahir Tshuva, because of course, Yom Kippur is only Mechaper Leshavim, if you do Tshuva. But it's not just the Tshuva alone, it's the Tshuva combined with the fact that it's his wedding day, because he's Mechadosh Anisha. It seems that uh, the Kotsky Rebbe learned that the forgiveness of sins happens on the day of the Kedushin, which is why we are suspecting that this is a Kedushin, because he got married that day, and he may have had a hero tshuva, which makes the kapora, the atonement of that day, a valid atonement for him. But here's a catch-22. What does the Kotsky Rebbe say? Somebody gives Kiddushin to a woman, even if he was a total balaveret five minutes ago, we suspect maybe he did tshuva. And says the Koska, the only reason why the tshuva works is because it's also the day of his wedding, because he's marrying a woman now. But here's the catch 22. He can only, the Kiddushin is only a valid Kiddushin, which means he's only, this day is only the day of his wedding if his sins are forgiven. Because he says, But his sins are only forgiven if she's married to him. So now say you have a question of the chicken and the egg. Which comes first? The marriage can only be a marriage if he's a tzaddik. He can only be a tzaddik according to the Kotzker if it's the day of his marriage. That means if the wedding is a valid wedding. So we have to say, is the, as uh, this is what the Kotzker says, They both happen simultaneously. That means that the validity of the marriage, of the Kiddushin, and the moment he becomes a tzaddik, all happen at once. There's a concept like that in Allah. A similar uh, point to that is regarding uh, the Geula, Mashiach. It says, Jews can only be redeemed only with tshuva. We know that the redemption is like the marriage, the Nisuyin of the Jewish people with Hashem. On the other hand, we know that for all Jews to do tshuva, you need Mashiach. How can we other, otherwise expect that all Jews will actually do tshuva? For that to happen, you need Mashiach. So the Munkat Sherebi said in one of his forum, yeah, okay, so now what are we going to do? We're going to wait for all Jews to do tshuva? He says, is that realistic? And if Mashiach can only come if all Jews do tshuva, then when is Mashiach going to come? He says, it's boing ke echot. Says Mashiach will come, and at the same time, all Jews will do tshuva. One will feed into the other simultaneously. The same as the Kotzker says that the day a person is mekadesh de isha, even though he makes al nashanitzadigomor, 
but the kiddushin and the status of the tzaddik kick in at the same time, and therefore it works.